You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. We've been reading through the events uh, leading up to and, and following Jesus' birth and what that means. And as we've been going through that over the last month, uh, we've seen that, that people respond to it in, in mainly two ways. In mainly two ways, right? They, they either prepared him room by bowing down and, and worshiping him and giving them all of themselves, or they were terrified and angry at his coming. Uh, so, so nobody really reacts casually or ambivalently because Jesus' claims to be Savior and King uh, demand an absolute response. They demand an absolute response. So we either respond by preparing him room or, alternatively, by giving him no room at all. There's no middle ground with someone who claims to be God incarnate. There's no, no middle ground with that kind of a claim, right? So as we, and as we've been discussing over the last month, there were only a handful of people during the events of Jesus' birth who did prepare him room. And uh, we've been learning from them and the different ways that, they've been, that they did that. We've been learning from Mary and Joseph and, and the wise men, uh, the angels and the shepherds, which we'll be talking about at Christmas Eve. And, and today we'll be talking about and learning uh, from the stories of two devout Jews whose names were Simeon and Anna. And from their stories, we'll be, we'll be learning today that part of what it means to prepare Jesus' room is to have a willingness and a desire to wait on the Lord. A, will, a willingness and a desire to wait on the Lord. Um, which I think is a timely topic for us in the busyness and craziness of Christmas. Right? So we're going to be talking about waiting. So please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be going from chapter 2, from verses 22 to 38. Luke 2, 22 to 38. So this is after Jesus is born. So from verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, 
She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what what a privilege and blessing it is to be able to gather together with your people in your presence because of what Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, we come before you, we humbly come before you in the name of Jesus, and, and we ask that as we go through your word that you would, you would write it on our hearts, that you would change us, that, that you would mold us, and um, that we would learn what it means to prepare you room, Lord. I also just want to lift up that, that gentleman who passed out earlier in the service, Lord, uh, wherever he's at right now, I pray that you would, you would bless him and be with him. And, um, yeah. We just thank you for, for your goodness and, and your grace, Lord, and, and we pray that, that, that you would just move in us this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so one thing I remember about Christmas as a kid, which I think we can all relate to, and I've, I know I've mentioned this before, but what, one thing I remember about Christmas as a kid was all the waiting, right? There was a lot of waiting. And, and Christmas season, right? To, the months leading up to Christmas, first of all, those torturous months that, that seem to go by so slowly. And then finally on December 1st, the decorations would go up uh, over the next few weeks and then presents would start appearing under the tree. And, and at that point, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. But, but yet all these things are just, just a re- constant reminder that, that Christmas Day hasn't come yet. And my mom wouldn't even put name tags on the presents until like a week before, so we, we couldn't snoop, because I would snoop, I did snoop, often I knew what I was getting. Uh, so, so she had to do that, so I had to wait even to the, the, first, the week before Christmas to even find out which re- rectangle box, or even better boxes, were mine. And then there was the waiting for school to be out, to finally be done that last day of class, and, and as a kid, December... Just, just the month of December, just the three weeks we had to be in school, felt like a whole year to me. I don't know if it felt like that to you as a kid, but it felt like a whole year to be just year to me, just slowly ticking by, like, like waiting for a super slow pedestrian across the street when you're in a hurry, right? You're like, come on, right? That's, that's what it felt like to me being in school in December as a kid. Um, you know, and, and, then, and then there was the Christmas Eve service that we had to go to. Oh man, we, we had to go to that as a kid. That felt like hours, right? It, it was nice and, and Christmassy, and, 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 but it felt so long, so long as a kid. Why do we have to go to the Christmas Eve service? Uh, ours won't be long, I swear, so you, you can come to ours. But the, at the church I grew up in, I think it was hours. I, I really think it was really long. Then, then Christmas morning would finally come, but yet we had to wait some more. We had to wait some more because before we could open the stockings, we had to wake up our parents first at 5.30 in the morning. And then, and then finally, we'd get to open our stockings, which was great, but, but that's just a tease, right? That's just a tease. We had to wait even longer to open up the really good presents because before we got to do that, we had to pack them all up, put them in the car, and, and drive to Grandpa and Grandma's house. So, so we'd do that, and uh, that was a long drive, five whole minutes. But it, but it felt like... It felt like half the morning to me as a kid. And, and then when we got there, yes, you guessed it, there was more waiting. 
more waiting. Because, of course, we had to eat all the breakfast first. And at least it was pancakes, and, and that's my favorite breakfast food, so I enjoyed that. But, but the whole time, you know, thoughts of, of ripping open that, that wrapping paper, you know, swirling around in my head. And, and I'm normally a five or six pancake guy, but on Christmas morning, two maximum, because I want to get through that, the breakfast as fast as possible. And all the kids at the table, all the cousins around the world, wolfing down our breakfast like it was the last meal on earth, just so we could get to the presents earlier. But that didn't work either. That scheme failed every year. And it's all because of coffee. And again, I know I've used this example before in the past, but it's still traumatizing for me, so you have to let me just talk it through, okay? Well, coffee and I get along really well now. As a kid on Christmas morning, coffee was my sworn enemy, because while us kids were jumping out of our pajamas and shaking and dancing around the tree like some cultish dance, you know, waiting, um, the adults, they're just slouching in their chairs, at the breakfast table, sipping their coffee. Not in a hurry, and not even, not even drinking the coffee. Just sipping. Slowly sipping. And we're, you know, we're down. I'm, I am still a little excited. <laughs> we're dancing around the tree, you know, going, going all crazy. When do we get to the presents? When do we get to the presents? You know, we'll get to the presents as soon as, as we're done our coffee, kids. They'd say as if, as if to, like, reassure us, right? As if, as if that was any, any assurance at all. That, that was agony. That was agony. Each sip from the cup felt like it was all happening in slow motion. You know, I can still remember the sipping and the slurping. And you just wanted to push it into their face, you know? And each, each slurp is building up that, that impatience, but also that anticipation, right? And, and the, so the waiting was torture as a kid, and, and I waited with longing and groaning. But now when I look back, I guess at the same time, I have to admit that somehow the anticipation was also a little exciting. It was also a little exciting. The build-up to that climactic moment of opening the presents and, and, and discovering what gift I would receive, that, that build-up was almost as, as thrilling as getting the present itself. So I guess in those days, as a kid, there was both an, an agony, as I was just waiting and I couldn't wait, but, but also an eager anticipation and expectation. And, you know, as we've been thinking about Advent, I think in a lot of ways, um, but in a bigger way, that's probably how God's people felt as they, as they waited for that first Christmas, that first Christmas morning. They waited with agony as, as, they, as they suffered, but they, also, but, but they also waited with an eager anticipation and an expectation for the Messiah King to come bring them freedom. So the waiting was difficult, but they also knew that, that the wait would bring an amazing, an amazing promise. So generation after generation of God's people, mostly living in exile in, in Egypt or wandering through the desert or, or in Babylon or suffering under Roman rule, you know, they're all holding on to this, this promise that one day God would send a Savior, the Christ, to restore Israel and bring freedom to God's people. And they waited and they waited and they waited hundreds, thousands of years. From Adam to Abraham to, to Moses to David to the prophets to the angels to, to the wise men of the East, all being promised and all alluding to the coming Christ. Just as Isaiah declares in chapter 9, 2 to 7, which Rachel read 
earlier. I'm going to read more of it, though. It says that the, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this you know that's an amazing promise for a people who were constantly in captivity and and suffering and in and in war and and suffering the pangs of injustice and and sin to, to be given a promised king who would establish them in justice and comfort and righteousness for eternity that's an amazing promise but they waited hundreds of years for it so long in fact that many began to doubt that it would even occur. At times, God even felt silent to them. And at those times, the promise seemed especially faint. And many started to forget it, or they, or, or they would doubt it, and they turned from God, and they would turn from the law, sometimes turning to other gods of stone or, or gold or copper that they could at least see and touch. And I'm sure that many of us can relate to that, right? To, to their doubt or forgetfulness sometimes, especially when God seems distant. Because, because waiting is hard, right? Waiting can be frustrating. Waiting tests our patience. It tries our faith. Especially when we expect something sooner than later. Or if we're going through a hard time and we just really want it to end. Or, or if we need direction in our lives. You know, waiting on God in those, in those situations is hard. But at the same time, the truth is that one of the biggest themes of the story of, of Christmas is that it is. It's one of waiting. And God's people, they waited a long time. Until, as it says in Luke 2, verse 6, the time came, the time came for Mary to give birth. On that first Christmas morning, as Joseph and a very pregnant Virgin Mary found themselves in Bethlehem without a place to stay, finally, the wait was over. The right time had come. And Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, gave himself for the world and was placed in an animal's feeding trough. What, what a humble Savior. What a humble Savior who counted himself nothing so that we could have everything. The, the He's the fullness of the, the glory of God, the word in which the world was created through, the, who, who is outside of creation, filled with all glory, yet he set that aside and he came into creation for us, born as a helpless baby child in less than mediocre conditions and in relative obscurity. Also, he could save us from our sin. And the timing of this day was no accident. 
The timing of this day was no accident. In fact, all the promises of God referring to, to a coming Messiah were pointing to that exact moment in time. That moment was, in fact, God's perfect timing. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. My, my kids this week were um, snooping at their presents under the tree, which reminded me, they reminded me of me. And um, one of them suggested to me that we just open them right now. He's like, hey, Dad, let's, let's just open them right now. Why not? I mean, he, he was playing it off as a joke, but I know that he really wanted to. And, and of course, as I've explained in detail earlier, I empathized with him and his longing and desire to just get to the presence already. But even so, you know, I told him, we, we can't open them yet. We, we can't open them yet because it's not the right time. We, we have to wait because those presents are wrapped and placed under the tree for Christmas morning. That's, that's why they're there. And in the same way, God's promise of a Savior was prepared ahead of time for that exact moment. That's why we call it Advent. The word is derived from the Latin Adventus, which means a coming approach or arrival. So at the right time, Jesus arrived. At the right time in history, God came to dwell with man. Everything was in place perfectly. So one of the things I love about the Advent year is that we're reminded of this. We're reminded of the glorious truth that God's timing is perfect. When we're waiting on him, we, we can trust that we'll never wait longer than we have to. And that if we are waiting a long time, it's for a good reason. But again, quite often we, we don't trust his timing, do we? And we often have two unfortunate responses when we're in the midst of waiting. Number one, first response, we get tired of it or frustrated by it. And we start to doubt that God will even show up or follow through. So we give up on him or we get angry with him or we doubt that he even exists or whatever, whatever that road leads down, like the, like the Israelites so often did, right? And that's one of the reasons that they missed out on, on the signs of Jesus' birth because they had just given up, frustrated, forgotten the promise. So that's one way that we often react when we're in the midst of waiting. And number two, we might try to force God's promise ourselves. Like Abraham tried to do with his maidservant and God's promise of his son, right? He, he tried to force the issue. And like him, we, we might try to speed up the promise or, or, or force the promise or, or go when it's too soon. And that never works out either. And then we get to number one and we get frustrated. But rather, the, the Advent season reminds us that as we wait on the Lord, we need to and we can have patience and trust in God's timing because he's faithful, because his timing is perfect. Uh, Psalm 37, verse 7a says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Proverbs 3, 5 to 6, which many of us probably know, says, says Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So again, to prepare him room is to be willing to wait on him in faith. To, to wait on him with patience and, and trust. 
And at the time of Jesus' birth, one man in particular exemplified this, a man who was waiting specifically for that Advent moment, and his name was Simeon. His name was Simeon. I'm going to read this part about him again in Luke 2, 25 to 35. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So when we, when we see how, how Simeon reacts to Jesus, we, we can tell that he's been waiting with, with both longing and anticipation. Right? He was both excited and relieved. Uh, upon seeing Jesus, he might as well blurt it out, Finally, now I can die. <laughs> right? that's, that's basically what he's exclaiming there. And, and I imagine he'd been waiting for this moment, one, one which the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. I imagine he'd been waiting for, for quite some time. And, and, and I'm sure the wait was difficult and long. And I'm sure it tested his faith sometimes. And I'm sure it definitely tested his patience throughout the years, especially because he was told that he wouldn't even get to see death until that day. So he's probably like, you know, hurry up already. We've been there, right? When we're waiting, we're just like, hurry up already. But at the same time, I'm sure the prospect of knowing he'd one day see the Messiah in the flesh was also exciting and and worth the wait as well. And now after all those years of of waiting with longing and, and expectation, a young couple walks into the temple to dedicate their firstborn son And he sees the promise. Finally, he sees Jesus. And what he says next reveals to to us what Christmas really points us to. And he's been waiting a long time to say this. He says, My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the Gentiles and glory for Israel. In other words, the wait, the, the longing, the hope of Christmas isn't just for Christmas Day, but for what Christmas is ultimately pointing us to, which is the cross, our salvation for, for all, for Jews and Gentiles. Which means that the, the, the humble baby lying in a manger that, that we remember at Christmas should always turn our hearts to the reason Christ came in the flesh. To, to save us, to be with us, to take the punishment of sin for us at the cross as our perfect sacrifice. We had no way to get to God in our sin, so he came to us. He humbled himself, and he came to us. That's why Simeon declares triumphantly and, and satisfyingly of Jesus, my eyes have seen God's salvation. He's looked upon Jesus. As a dad now, I, uh, 
I end up spending a lot of my Christmas Day and Boxing Day and the day after that usually putting together my kids' toys. I'm sure a lot of dads and moms probably can relate to that. Which means that they don't actually get to see their toy or even play with it until I'm actually done building it or screwing all the pieces together. And, and in the same way, the, the gift of Jesus that's revealed at Christmas is only fully unraveled and realized at the cross. So they saw the gift of salvation when Jesus was born, but that salvation was only fully revealed, revealed and paid in full at the cross in his death and resurrection. And, and for Simeon, no doubt, as he, as he laid his eyes in wonder on this, this baby, knowing what, what this baby would do and, and accomplish, again, I'm sure in his mind, the weight was worth it. And now he would depart from the earth in peace, his heart full of praise and, and wonder to God, which makes Simeon a prime example for us of the truth that waiting on the Lord is worth it. It's worth it because the Lord is faithful and trustworthy to keep his promises. But more than that, even, this story is also a reminder for us that, that as we wait on the Lord, that we can be confident in our hope. We can be confident in our expectation. Again, when I was a kid and, and longing to open my presents, like I said, it wasn't complete agony because I knew that the day was coming. I, I could see the presents wrapped and sitting under the tree. I could see them there. There were signs that, that, that Christmas Day was approaching. So I knew I'd get, them, get to open them. And yeah, it was hard to wait. But I also waited with assurance and with confidence because I knew that it wouldn't be forever. The presence under the tree with my name on it the week before was proof of that. And in the same way, when God promises us something, it's like he's placing that wrapped present under the tree. We might not know when we get to open it or even what's inside of it, but we can have confidence that the day will come. His faithfulness and his, his spirit within us actually give us assurance of that hope. That's why the psalmist can declare in in Psalm 62, verse 5, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. The psalmist is preaching to his soul, saying, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. So so when we hope in God alone, it's, it's not a wish. It's a guaranteed when. God's promises are something we can trust in and expect with 100% guarantee. And in fact, as we place our hope in God, it actually enables us to be even more patient in our waiting. Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And, And Paul can write that in Romans, because those who have legitimate hope and a certain hope will wait as long as it takes. Our hope in God will never fail us. And Simeon exemplified that as he remained hopeful and faithful in his devotion to God's promise and was able to see it fulfilled right before his eyes. So we can be confident in our expectation as well as we, as we wait on the Lord. But let's not forget that there was also someone else who was at the temple waiting on the Lord as well. An 84-year-old prophetess, prophet, prophetess, I don't know, how you would say that, named Anna. And she hadn't necessarily been waiting for 
Jesus specifically, but she had certainly been waiting on the Lord. In fact, she never left the temple grounds. She worshipped and fasted before God day and night for decades. She didn't necessarily even know what the Lord would reveal to her as she waited on him all those years. She simply faithfully sought God and God alone. And because of her devotion, that's, that's crazy devotion, and because of that devotion, she ended up being there to witness Simeon's praise of seeing Jesus. And as a prophet herself, she responded by praising God and speaking about Jesus to everyone else who was also waiting for the redemption of Israel. So obviously she's a great example of, of what it looks like to just come uh, before the Lord without any agenda, right? Other than to just simply lay down at his feet and wait on him and seek him. And that doing so always pays off. As it says in Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. And so again, what, what we learn then from the example of Simeon and Anna in this story is that part of what it means to prepare Jesus' room is a willingness to wait, a willingness to wait on the Lord. The, and the Advent season, obviously, it's all about waiting, about anticipation, about wonder and expectation, about, about patience and trust and faith in God's perfect timing. And, so, and it's especially important. I want to know that it's especially important for us as Christians to remind ourselves of this because, you know, we're not waiting for Jesus to be born. But like the Israelites, we're also a people who are waiting on the coming Lord. In fact, we're waiting, as it says in the Bible, with, with, with both agony and eager anticipation, along with all of creation even, for Jesus to come again. When, when he'll fully establish new heaven and earth. Romans 8, 18 to 19, and verse 23 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So even though we can, we can now know Jesus and, and believe in him and follow him and though his spirit is, is alive in us as a seal of God's promise, we're still waiting. As Christians, we're still waiting, groaning inwardly, but also eagerly for that day when he comes again, when, when suffering and, and tears and tragedy and pain and, and sin will be no more, when we can joyfully and freely live in the presence of God. For eternity. As Christians, every moment of our lives is, is lived within the shadow and hope of this longing and hopeful anticipation. We're in waiting, which is why it says in James 5, 7 to 8, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient because the day will come, he says. God's, God's timing will be perfect, so don't lose hope. Keep the faith. Be patient. 
And I want to say, though, that part of what it means to, to wait in patience is it isn't necessarily to you know, sit around twiddling our thumbs, waiting for God to do something. But it's an opportunity to take the time of waiting to, as the verse said, establish our hearts for that day. Prepare our hearts for that day. Which means this is a, also a lesson for us as a church and in our personal lives that, that to prepare him room is to humbly wait on him in, in anything and, and everything. To wait on him daily as we, as we anticipate and look forward to the hope of his coming. To give him room to prepare us and, and lead us and give us perseverance where we are. And even bring conviction. Ultimately, we need to give him room so he can sanctify us and mature us and make us holy day by day. That's one of the reasons why waiting on the Lord is so important. You know, why does God make us wait? Well, this is one of the reasons. It's, it's not always just about the thing that we're waiting for, but how we can grow and mature and become closer to God and prepare our hearts for what's to come in the midst of the waiting. As it says in Isaiah 40, 31, But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's in the midst of the waiting. Not at the end of it. But as we wait, it's in, it's in that time where we find we'll grow and become stronger in our faith and in our perseverance and in our relationship with the Lord as we seek him. But how often do you think that we miss out on this opportunity for growth. You know, maybe because we're only focused on the answers or the blessings that we're waiting for and we're getting frustrated because we don't see them. Or, or how often do we miss out on God's direction or wisdom because we don't even take the time to wait on Him? Like when we make decisions, big or small, throughout our day or when we're struggling emotionally or when we're faced with hardships or even when we're having a good time. Do we even take 30 seconds, a minute, 20 minutes even, to seek him before we react or move forward or make decisions? Because again, it's easy to see that this this concept of waiting on the Lord comes up as a main theme throughout Scripture, especially at Advent. It's a huge part of the whole narrative. But I'd argue that in many ways we've lost the practice and the required patience of doing so, in, in our, you know, in our, especially in our culture of getting everything right away. Which means we're obviously missing out on, on, on the blessings and benefits of waiting, of waiting on the Lord. So I, I want to encourage us this morning, including myself, to, to start creating monthly and daily habits for prayer and fasting where we can sit quietly with the Lord and meditate on his word. Let's challenge ourselves to be patient as we, as we place our trust and hope in his timing. Let's challenge ourselves through, throughout our day to seek his wisdom and guidance and, and perseverance in our decisions and in our work and in our relationships. And when waiting is a struggle, let's, let's ask him to strengthen our faith. Ask for prayer from one another. Let's remind ourselves of his promise throughout Scripture. Let's hold on to them. 
Hold on to his promises and remember that God never fails in accomplishing them. As he's proven over and over and over, especially at Advent, but especially at the cross. And when, when we're frustrated or when we're losing patience, which we're bound to do, none of us are perfect. Let's remind ourselves in those times that waiting is an opportunity. And part of the process of God drawing us to trust in him alone. It's part of what it means to prepare him room. So in conclusion then, because I know you've all been waiting patiently for me to finish. But seriously, as, as we live in the anticipation and the hope of his second coming. Let's remember, even in the busyness of this season, and especially as we go into the new year, to prepare him room in our, our lives, in our, in our decisions, in, in our relationships, in marriages, in our goals, and in our workplace, and throughout our day, by waiting on him, and on him alone. Because our hope is in him. As it says in Galatians 5, verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the year that we've had. And Lord, though many plans might have not seen their fruition, Lord, um, Many things that we've been waiting for, we're still waiting on answers to, Lord. I thank you for this, this message, just in knowing that your timing is perfect, that you are faithful to keep your promises, that you are faithful to your children, and Lord, that you will not let us down. So I pray for those this morning that, that are in the midst of waiting and, and, and are frustrated and, and don't understand and, and don't get it and, and are having a hard time, Lord God. I pray that, that even now your Holy Spirit would, would uh, increase their faith, that you would draw them to you. Because that, that, that is the point, Lord, that we would be drawn to you, that we would, we would come into relationship with you and grow in the knowledge of who you are, Lord. And I thank you that, that, that the Advent season reminds us of why we get to do that. Because you sent your son. Because you loved the world in this way that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation for our sins. To take our place. So Lord, we, we give you all the glory. We, pr- we pray that, that you would teach us what it means to prepare your room. And that as, as we do so, as we learn, Lord, that we would grow and become a church that proclaims your name in an even bigger way than we ever have in the new year, Lord. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.